Welcome to New Spring Church. We pray this message has inspired you to live a great life. For more information about our story, go to newspring.org.au. At the beginning of um, every year, we make New Year's resolutions, and these resolutions generally have to do with health. And um, I know there's been many, many years that I have made a resolution that I was going to lose weight, I was going to get fit. And um, as you can tell, I've failed miserably at that resolution for many, many years in a row. Uh, but generally, we'll make resolutions about getting fit. We'll make resolutions about quitting smoking. We'll try to like, get a better grasp on our finances because we want our finances to be healthier. Or, or maybe even in our relationships, we'll look around our relationships and say, well, for this year, I want to have better relationships. I want to make sure that my marriage is healthy. I want to make sure my friendship network is, is great. I want to make sure that I'm not necessarily an island by myself, but I actually have the social network around me because I understand that God has not made me to actually be alone and be an island, but I'm actually created for relationships. Well, this year, I'm actually asking the question and encouraging us as a church to consider um, this word juice. And that's the title of this series, Juice. And the idea is to kind of flip um, the premise of New Year's resolutions, which predominantly have to do with our own interests and our own self-interests and kind of say, you know what, by this time next year, this is where I want to be. I kind of want to flip that and kind of ask the question, what have we considered that this year... Not like what I'm going to be or what I'm going to get out of this year, but what will I make available through my life for the world this year? Imagine if you flip that up around. And that's why we've called it juice. And um, I like the idea of juice because I've got this juice over here, which I'm spilling. See, juice is like, it's a great thing. The Bible talks a lot about fruit and talks about juice. But there's one thing about juice, I can drink this juice right here, right now, and you guys might be absolutely parched, and I'm doing really good, but imagine if I was actually avail, like, willing to make this juice available and say, Imogen, would you like some juice? Go and just take it. There you go. There you go. You can have some. I actually made it available for someone else. Instead, did you spill that? You drank it? You drank it? Okay. You can do that. And the idea is that this year we want to make our life available for other people and have that mindset as a church. I want to sort of encourage us as a church that as a church, our mindset, our posture, our view is that our life, our church, everything that we do is something that God is going to use us to make available his goodness, his grace, his love for other people. And that's kind of where we're going with it. So this year I am suggesting that we get onto a health kick. And there is nothing as healthy as in the morning, at the beginning of the year, taking a great, good glass of quality juice. And that's why we're talking about it. And everyone knows the quality of the juice comes from the quality of the fruit, doesn't it? So we're going to be in Galatians 5. If you have your Bibles, we're going to read from verse 22. This is the key passage of Scripture for the next two months, if you're wondering. And Paul speaking here, he says from verse 22, he says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoking one another or be jealous of one another. This idea of juice that comes from this kind of fruit 
that Paul is talking about in Galatians 5. That's the thrust of this series. And last week we were talking a little bit as we introduced this series. We, we talked a little bit about this juice and we were saying, you know, there's something about this juice of making this nutritional value available for the world. A couple of things we need to know is that this kind of juice, it actually comes from us if we're Christians. It doesn't come to us. In fact, we live in a world that is absolutely in dire need of this kind of nutritional value. They are deficient in so many things like love, joy, peace. Have you ever met someone and you say, man, you are deficient in joy because you're like, well, you're just down. There's a, there's a joy. You need something. You need an injection of peace. You're so anxious all the time. There is a deficiency in this world. And we said one of the responsibilities of being children of God, of being Christians in this world, is that what the world needs actually comes through us. But if we're Christians, we need to understand our responsibility and expectation is that it doesn't come to us. Sometimes we can come to church or we can be part of the community of faith and say, I need to get this. And God will say, actually, it's about you being a blessing to the world. It's the wrong way around. That's what we said last week. We said that it's something that the world cannot produce. Could you imagine if, they, if someone came to you and they were so thirsty and they, and they needed this so much, and we're like looking at them saying, what is wrong with you? They need these virtues, yet they cannot produce these virtues. We can't necessarily point our finger. We need to say, I get it. You need a little, you, you, need, you, need, you need some of this stuff and you can't produce it, so I'm going to make it available to you. Kind of that thing. We said that, um, that, that last week that people are thirsty. And I was explaining like, every single um, week almost, I walk into the kitchen and I say to Andrew, I'm hungry. And Andrew being, Andrew being a great um, dietitian, she doesn't say, oh, there's some food here and all that. Every time I say, Andrew, I'm hungry, she responds with, well, are you thirsty? Because apparently, you can be so thirsty that you feel hungry. Has anyone ever said that to you? That might help with some of our resolutions right there. You know, I feel like a chocolate bar. No, you need a glass of water right over there. Amen. You can see, I can see someone testify over there. But it's that, and we can see in the world that there are a lot of people and they seem hungry for this, they seem hungry for that, and they've got appetites for this, but if we actually drill down and actually we're savvy enough as Christians, we say, okay, I can see you're going into this direction, you're saying you're hungry for this, but really you're thirsty for something from God. That's the actual underlying call, and we talked about that. So for the next two months, January and February, I want to help all of us as a church with this health kick, and I want to help us with our spiritual juice. And every week, we're probably going to be like talking about two key thoughts, and I mentioned them last week. The first key thought, they're both connected to each other. The first key thought is a word that doesn't have a great rap in the world. It's a word that's called submission. Submission. It's one of those words where you think, oh, I want to recoil from it, but if we understand what submission is, we would actually... I come to understand this is a great word. Submission, and the second one is the title of this series, which is called Juice. And talking about submission, we're talking about this idea that submission is actually coming under a mission. If you think about the word, if you break it up, that's what it is. To actually submit to something is to actually come under the direction of where that is going. You know, if we were kind of saying, oh, I want to actually submit to, if you were in a um, football team, for instance, and you're a great player and all that, yet you've got a coach, right? 
and the coach actually sets the player, the coach sets the direction, the coach sets the culture, and you can be a great performer, you can be very athletic, but your success is actually going to come down to your attitude of actually submitting to the mission, which is bigger than yourself, it's actually the team. Do you understand that? And the great thing is that every single church around the world has exactly the same mission. It's called the agenda of God. It's called the purposes of God. And I want to sort of walk through that a little bit before we go into the juice we want to kind of focus on, or the fruit we want to focus on a bit today. And we're going to start by looking at this agenda of God, which is probably one of the first places in the Bible outlined in Genesis chapter 12. And God is speaking to this guy, his name's Abram. If you're not familiar with, uh, with the Bible, this guy called Abram, and God comes and he starts speaking to this guy, and he says in Genesis 12, from verse 1, he says, Go to your country, your people and your father's household, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, the key verse is actually at the end, when he actually says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. But you need to understand, this isn't just for you. This is actually what my agenda is. My agenda is that all peoples on earth are going to be blessed through you. And the agenda of God, as you read from Genesis through to Revelation, is that he actually comes and chooses a people. And they're not the strongest people, they're not the wisest people, they're, they're not the prettiest people, but, but, but God says, I'm going to choose you. He chooses Israel. And he says, I'm not choosing you because you're the strongest or anything. I choose you because I choose to put my love on you. And he chooses a people through which he is going to bring healing and restoration of all creation. That's his strategy. That's what he does. And as we come to this place and we say, I am going to become a Christian. I'm going to become a child of God. We actually become part of that people group where God is actually bringing healing through his particular people. If we're Christians, that's who we are. If you think about it, when we become Christians and we say, I am a child of God, I'm a son of God, I'm a daughter of God, we kind of enter into the family business, the family business, our father's business. And I was just thinking about that concept of how you enter into the family business. I know that in every single job I've had, on the first day of work, I didn't actually do too much work. On the very first day of work, someone actually sat down with me and gave me a job description. Are you familiar with that? Have you been in a workplace where they haven't done that? Yeah. <laughs> it makes it a little bit more difficult. But when you sit down, and, and you sit down and you look at a job description, and, and what you're hoping at that point is that this job description is actually a functional job description. There's a job description that actually represents what this particular vocation is all about. I mean, if you sat down and you, like, you're a plumber, for instance, and you sat down with your boss and you got this job description and part of your, your KPIs and your expectations that every day you're going to service two cars in a garage, you think, well, this is a bit weird because I'm a plumber, yet you're giving me a job description for a mechanic. Those two don't line up. The job description has to be functional. You understand what I'm saying? It has to be functional. When we become Christians, there actually is a job description. The funny thing is, sometimes... We're not told about it, and we can't necessarily function too well in it. But there is a job description. There's a job description when it comes to our vocation as Christians, 
as being children of God. And our job description firstly is identified and brought to bear in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. These scriptures are going to be on the screen for you to go so you can read. But in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, God said, let us make man our own image. From verse 27 says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. From the beginning, there was this job description that God said, I'm going to make humans, and they're going to be in my image. And over the years, there's been this analogy that theologians have used about what it means to be an image bearer of God or or, or be made in the image of God. And it's actually this angled mirror. If you look at this mirror, the job description which God gives to Christians or gave to Adam at the very beginning, looks something like this. An angle mirror. And the idea was that creation would reflect the praise and the worship of God to God, and that creation that we would actually reflect the love, the compassion, the wisdom of God to the world. Can you see how that would work? From God to the world, from the world to God. You know, what we do with our life is supposed to reflect the glory and praise of of creation to God, but how we live is supposed to show the world the love, compassion, the grace, the wisdom of God to the world. Do you see how that happens? What happened when sin entered into the world, we read in Genesis, is that something happened to this angled mirror. What happened is that this angle mirror went from being angled like this to just being like that. That's kind of what happened. And if you think about it, just say you're like in the world, what are you going to, like, you can't reflect much. You see how that works? That's what happened. There's other language in the Bible as well. We talk about in Exodus there's a kingdom of priests. Um, In the New Testament, Paul talks about a royal priesthood. Think about that word, royal priesthood, for instance. Priesthood is all about gathering praise and worship and offering it before God, the angle mirror. Royalty speaks of the kingdom of God. So everything of God's kingdom, every of his attributes, um, his wisdom, his stewardship, to the world, like that. Royal priesthood. It, it's an analogy, it's, it, it's an image that is in both Old Testament and New Testament. But what happened is that when Adam sinned, he actually undid what God initially purposed. The angle mirror went from this to this. And for the rest of the New Testament, up until Jesus, there were like ways of actually trying to get around that and rectify that, but always looking to the point where things would be restored. When Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected, Jesus undid what Adam originally undid. So what happened is that when Jesus died, was resurrected, there is now the opportunity, the possibility, that we could actually return to our original job description, which is this. That's what happened. And when it comes to submission, 
It is actually coming under an understanding that God has a master plan. He has an agenda at play. And from the very beginning, he has actually given us a job description. That we as Christians, that we would be this angled mirror in the world. That when people looked at us, they wouldn't just see like themselves. You know, when I wake up in the morning and I need to like look at myself and make sure I've combed my hair. That's anyway. But I look at my, I look directly and all I see is myself. But, but God's purpose is that when, when, when the world looks at us, when people look at us, they don't just see themselves. They don't see their own character. They don't see their own nature. They don't see their own passions. But when they look at us, that they would see something divine, that they would see something, that there would be something in their life that actually reflects the beauty, the wonder, the wisdom, the majesty of God in and through our lives. And God also purposed that as we go through this world, that there will be something of our life as we look at the injustices, as we look at brokenness, as we look at the things in this world that do not line up with what God's agenda is, that we would actually reflect God's kingdom and actually start to see God's kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what our job description is. Do you understand that? Let us make man in our own image, God to the world and the world to God. Think about it. We've got verses in our New Testament, and, and like, um, I think about um, you know, Romans 3.23, we talk about that a bit. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Have you ever thought to yourself, had that preacher say, what in the world does that even mean? Like, all have sinned, we understand that, the word sin in that context in, in, in Romans over there means to miss the mark. But miss the mark of what? Have you ever thought about that? But what does it mean to miss the mark? Well, what it means is that all have sinned and we're like that. That's what it means. What happens when we give our life to God and we have his righteousness and, and we are right in his eyes? Well, it just simply means that now we are like that. That's what Jesus has done for us. That's what our life means. That's why we use that illustration. So I've used this illustration a couple of years ago, by the way, but um, not for a while. But the idea of this angled mirror that Jesus' resurrection has undone what Adam originally undone, and now we can return to your original vocation, the original job description of being image bearers of God in this world. That as people come in contact with us, just individually, in our families, as our church, that they will see something of God. That there is a possibility that the, the things of heaven can actually be made manifest on earth. As we live this angled mirror, we can expect healing. We can expect um, the, heal, uh, the brokenness to be made whole. We, we can expect relationships to be reconciled. We can expect all these things to happen if we live this life. Like that. And think about it. I was talking to a mate this week. And I was even talking about just, you know how certain lifestyles are a bit like harder? You know? Does anyone know that? It could be hard being like the lifestyle of a Christian. And we were talking about that. I was thinking, you know what? A different, a different way of thinking about it is, you know, when I actually live my life as this, as opposed to this, when I live my life like this, I actually get to partner with God's agenda. I get to participate with kingdom stuff. 
I can't see kingdom stuff happen through my life if I'm like this. But if I'm like this, I certainly can. And isn't it a wonderful thing? Have you ever been part of something bigger, something grander? Have you ever like, played even the smallest part in something magnificent? You know, That we get to play a part in something grand and we get to do it when we live like that. So here's an example how this could possibly work. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 to 10. It says this, Do not lie to each other. Since you've taken off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of the Creator. So think about it. Do not lie to each other. Because if we were to lie to each other, that doesn't actually... Um, reflect the wisdom of God, the nature of God, the goodness of God, does it? Even though, like, I know, like, you, like we all do say some lies sometimes, right? Rhonda, I'm looking, no. Anyway. No, no, no. We're not perfect. <laughs> but if we say, no, I'm not going to, simple as that, don't lie to each other. That actually, to be a truth teller, actually reflects the character and goodness of God. And what it actually says is that in the knowledge of the image of our Creator, that as we grow in the knowledge of God, we actually set our lives to be this angled mirror where we are a true royal priesthood in this world, where we not only um, give praise of all creation to God, but we also exhibit and demonstrate the kingdom of God in this world. So that's the image of the angled mirror. Did everyone get that? It's kind of what we um, are taught when we go through theology and Bible college. As we submit and come under the mission of God, this is the cool bit, understanding our job description as image bearers of God, to God to the world, world to the God, what happens is that we naturally start producing spiritual juice. This fruit of the Spirit naturally comes from our lives. We can try to force it. You say, man, I need to love you. I need... Have you ever said, man, I'm going to love you with the love of God and you just hate the person? Have you, anyone ever done that? You know, like you're just irritating me so much. Well, I'm going to love you with the love of the Lord. You know, <laughs> you know I'm, going to, I'm going to force myself to love you. It's very difficult to force. Have you ever seen a mango tree just like just cringing its face and going, I'm going to produce mangoes? <laughs> You've never seen a fruit tree that looks like it's constipated. I guarantee you've never done that. But what happens is that a fruit tree, whether it be a mango, plum, banana, they naturally produce fruit. And the idea is that as we come under, as we submit, as we understand that we are image bearers of God, that our life is to portray the kingdom of God to this world, and our life is also to give praise and worship to God, those two things that this spiritual fruit naturally starts to grow in our life. You don't have to force it. You don't have to force it. The scripture says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. The Holy Spirit. And as we come under, as we embrace, as we submit, as we say, I understand the mission of God, I'm going to come under the mission of God, this stuff happens, and it's exciting stuff. So you may start January where we are right now, and you say, man, I'm just, I'm just so grumpy, I'm so angry right now. I guarantee, I will make a guarantee right now, according to Scripture, if you take this on, on board and you say, okay, God, I need you to help me. 
I need to learn this stuff. I want to come under. I want to submit. I guarantee you, it will not take long. You're going to start seeing some fruit. And everyone else will notice it. And what you'll also find is that people start rocking up at your door. They'll start coming to you because you've got something that they need. That's how you do it. That's how this works. So that's why it's linked. Submission is linked to the fruit of the Spirit. Submission is linked to Christian living. Submission is linked to New Spring Church getting the job done in the city of Armdale and beyond. Submission is not a dirty word. It's a God word. It's a beautiful word. It's something that we've been created to do. Yeah? Good. So I'm going to talk about the first of these nutrients when uh, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. He says in uh, verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. And the first one is love. Have you noticed how he words it? He actually says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit, singular fruit, and then goes on to express nine different qualities. Because out of this one fruit comes all of this nutritional value. Like I said, if you find yourself deficient in any one of these areas, you just need to go back to the beginning and say, okay, Holy Spirit, I need some of this fruit. Singular. Just one thing. But love. Love, 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 love. Love's a big one, isn't it? I think there's a reason why Paul put love at the very beginning. Paul has this huge emphasis in, the, in his writings in the New Testament. He has this huge emphasis on love. In fact, the whole of the Bible has this huge emphasis on love. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave. That love is this expression. That the love is this highest virtue. That, that, that love is, is something that sort of describes our God. That love is, is the thrust behind human history. Love is something that, that we as Christians are to be walking in, are to be living in, are to be expressing. There's something about love. Love is seeking the highest good of others as defined as the example of Jesus Christ. Have you ever, like, sort of, as you read through Jesus' life in the Gospels, and he comes across some interesting characters, doesn't he? He comes across some characters, and I think to myself, if I were you, Jesus, or I was looking on, in fact, the disciples were looking on at Jesus, and Jesus is loving some people, and, like, some of the other people, they don't want to love him, they want to hate him. Woman caught in the act of adultery. Jesus is loving this broken woman, going to the court, understanding that this woman needs something, needs some juice. Everyone else literally wants to kill her. There's this dichotomy that's happening. She's surrounded by haters, and there's one person who's loving. There's one person who's loving. This is Jesus' life. This is Jesus' example. In fact, our Christian life begins with love. Romans 5, verse 5 says, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. You see, love is the most significant virtue or nutritional benefit that this fruit brings to us because love actually allows everything else in our Christian life to flow. Imagine this. I need to get something from Belmont to Joondalup, okay? In order for me to get something from Belmont to Joondalup, what I need will actually have to travel through the Graham Farmer Tunnel. Is everyone familiar with that tunnel? Yeah. Right? In order for me to get what I need, it actually has to go through this certain channel. It has to go under this bridge. It actually has to go through um, this artery in our network. 
love operates very similarly. In order for things to get through us, the tunnel, per se, or the artery, is actually called love. That's what we need, love. There's a couple of verses which I'm just going to go through, and it's actually going to show that. Earlier on in Galatians, Paul says in Galatians 5, verse 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor circumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith, get this, expressing itself through love. Isn't it amazing? This life of faith, trusting, believing in God, Without faith, it's impossible for man to please God. We're justified by faith. This thing of faith that we are instructed to live by expresses itself through love. If we haven't got this nutritional value, if we are deficient in love, evidently, in the same thought, this is Galatians 5, evidently, we cannot express faith. We cannot live the life of faith. It may even go to the point where we cannot please God if we do not have this channel of love in our life. How important is it for us to have love in our life? That if we don't have love, nothing else is going to happen. Galatians 5, verse 13 to 14. <clears throat> Just a couple of verses down. Paul speaking again. He says, You have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but do not use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Not only is faith expressed through love, but it turns out that without love, we cannot genuinely serve each other. We may serve, or we may... Maybe serves the wrong word. We might do some tasks. We might tick some boxes. We may look like we're serving. But Paul will say that in order to serve the kingdom, you have to serve through love. Isn't that amazing? It actually has to come through love. Love is so important. Faith is expressed through love. We can't serve without serving through love. This love thing is really important. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, last scripture we'll look at today. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. <clears throat> Paul speaking again, he says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they who live might not longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Paul's saying this, he's talking about his own ministry. He's saying that if you want to know why I do the things I do, he says, it's actually love that controls me. It's love. It's almost like love is the rudder on a ship. And without a rudder, that ship can go anywhere, can't it? That, that sailboat can go anywhere. Like the winds can actually take it absolutely anywhere. But if you actually put a rudder on a sailboat, it doesn't matter where the wind's going that rudder will still control it and take it to the destination it needs to go. 
And sometimes we can live our life and we've got the winds of this world and they're coming and they're blowing and we may even have storms and they're threatening to take us in this direction where we know to go in this direction because we haven't got our rudder in place. But Paul will say, this is the thing that controls my life. It's the love of God. It's love. If we have love in our life, if we are paying attention to how how, um, deficient or or if we need more love, if we are paying attention to that and we actually apply that to our life, it does not matter what happens in your life. You will still be going on the same course, on the right course. You will still be going in the right direction because it is the love of God that controls your life. Did you get that? So not only do we need love to express our faith, not only do we need love to serve, but the love of God actually controls us. It controls us. It tells us, I may want to do that, but I actually, there's something inside of me that wants to do that. It's a weird thing. I remember there's been many times in my life where I've started at a point, and it could be relationally or something, and, and I've started at a point, and I'm like, there is no way. There is no way that I actually want to do that. I know as I look through Scripture and, and all that, and I'm like, yeah, 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 I could read that. I know I'm supposed to, but everything inside of me wants to go in this direction. But I know God wants me to go in this direction. It's funny. You make that decision, okay, God, I need your help here, but I'm going to submit to you. I'm actually going to come under. I'm going to understand what you're about and your agenda and the kingdom purpose. And I'm actually going to come there. It's funny. It's amazing how over time the desires I have to go in this direction change. And all of a sudden, I just want to go in this direction because it's the love of God that actually has come and taken control of my life and has allowed me to live a great, righteous life in this world. And we need that in this world, don't we? We need that in this world. Think about this surrounding area. This year, as um, New Spring Church, um, I've got a really key theme which I really want to just um, try to help us um, grasp. And it's this idea of Christian living. What does it mean to be a Christian living in this world? Which goes beyond rocking up to church, lifting up your hand, doing a couple of twirls, going hallelujah. What does it mean? And as Christians in this world, in this area, we are called to serve. And the only way that we are going to serve well is if we have love. If it is the love of God that controls us. It's going to be love. I know there are many times when during the week we have so many people come um, just rocking up to the door and um, they are in desperate need desperate need. And you can tell they're in desperate need because it's actually outworked in different ways. Um, Outworked in ways which may not necessarily look pretty or nice or well-mannered. The only way that we can actually meet or even try to meet any of these needs is if love is at the forefront of our life. Has to be at the forefront of our life. And the beautiful thing of scripture, the lovely thing that Paul will say The thing that is through Genesis through to Revelation is that if we understand that we are image bearers of God, that our life is to be an angled mirror in this world, if we submit and come under that, if if we have in the forefront of our mind that my life is to give praise to God and also to see the kingdom of God be reflected to this world, then this fruit 
will naturally be produced in our life. And we will just, by nature, be a church of love, be people of love. Faith will be expressed like that. Service will happen like that. We won't have to force anything to happen at all, but it comes back to submission, you see. Submit to God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things are going to be added. And that's how we will see this year be phenomenal in this church. In Jesus' name, amen.